Made for Mondays. So today we're starting a new message series that's going to take us on a journey through the Old Testament book of the Bible called Ruth. Now, back in the summer, we had our At The Movie series, which I loved, by the way. I'd love that to be an annual thing where we just get to explore movies and how our faith and culture intersect. But I want to ask you about your favorite genre of movie. So just give a shout out when I hit the correct genre because you know which one is right and your spouse, of course, is wrong. So the first one is action movies. We've got Top Gun, which we had at our At The Movie series. How many of you would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, action movies are the best movies out there? A couple? All right. I'm, I'm in this camp. I, I love action movies, just so you know. Now, how many of you would say, no, not action, but we're going to go with comedies because the world is complicated, people are mean, you got to laugh sometimes. These are some classics up here. Uh, Home Alone, Dumb and Dumber, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, if you don't know those, you need to catch up on these. Take a picture of it. How many of you would say, no, not comedies, but oh my gosh, of course, it's superhero movies. So we've got Captain America, The Avengers, Spider-Man, Iron Man. I don't know why it's all men. Wonder Woman. <laughs> okay, now let's go to thrillers. How many of you would say thrillers? Do we have any thrillers? All right, we've got some. We, you've got I See Dead People. Okay, that line pff, blew my world. Like, man, that made me appreciate a good thriller. And if you don't know that line, go back and watch The Sixth Sense. Sorry that there's a spoiler there. So we've got comedy, we've got action, we've got superhero. What am I missing? Chick flicks, rom-coms, The Notebook, You've Got Mail, which now I have to get my wife a dozen sharpened pencils every September, and How to Lose a Guy, and Hitch, and Hallmark Christmas movies. How did I forget that one? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think for every notebook that I watch, I should get to watch three action movies. I, I do appreciate a good rom-com, but I don't know, action, I, I still think wins out. But some of us, we, we love the rom-com. So if this book of the Bible were a movie, it would actually be a chick flick, okay? So we're not talking Sylvester Stallone, there's no Liam Neeson, we're talking Jennifer Aniston, Drew Barrymore. That's who's in this movie. So bad news for the action folks. There's, there's no shootouts, there's no car chases, explosions. Instead, we've got a, a couple of women and we've got a lot of talking. So that's kind of what leans this towards being a chick flick. So out of the 85 verses in the book of the Bible, 55 of them are dialogue. That's almost 65% of the book. And that shifts things towards being your chick flick. So as we look at the story, you're going to see that it's an amazing and powerful story. And there's no way to express what I believe we're going to experience from God in the next few weeks as we go through this series. But there's tragedy in this story, just like there's tragedy in the lives of so many people today. Sadly, we're going to see two women that lose everything. And God is very, very present in this book but not in the way that you might expect. You see, this is perhaps one of two books in the Bible where you don't see any physical miracles from God. There's no parting the Red Sea, there's no healing the sick, there's no raising the dead, but on every page and in every verse, you're going to see the presence and the power and the providence 
of a very, very good God. This is a powerful and intimate, life-changing book of the Bible that will speak to those of you who are hurting right now, or you're discouraged right now, or maybe you're just losing hope and you believe that God has something better for you. So if you feel stuck in a place that you know you shouldn't be, I believe this book will speak to you. And that's why today we're starting our series, Made for Mondays, Finding God in the Ordinary. And we're going to journey through the book of Ruth, and I'm calling today's message, When It's Time to Turn Around. So Father, I pray that your living word would build our faith, comfort us in our troubles, and strengthen us to know you and do your will. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So let's dive into the word together. Ruth chapter one, we're gonna start in verse one. So I invite you now, if you have the Bible app, feel free to f open your phone. I won't think that you're nodding off and checking your text messages. I am gonna have the verses on the screen, but there's also Bibles in front of you as well. But Ruth chapter one, starting at verse one. The very beginning of the book says this, in the days when the judges ruled. And I got to stop there. In the days when the judges ruled. So in other words, in the days when there were no kings. Now in the book of Ruth, does anyone know what book comes right before Ruth? Judges. So the way I always remembered that is you have your first five book, the Pentateuch, and then you have Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And I remember that as like a triad, like Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And I'm like, ooh. But the book of Judges comes right before Ruth, and there's one verse you see over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And it's in the very last verse. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. There were no kings in Israel, meaning in the days when the Judges ruled. And do you know what happened in those days? Well, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In the days when there were no kings, in the days when the judges ruled, everyone did whatever felt right in their own eyes. It sounds a little bit like today, but I just want to show you the connection. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so we're going to see a family that's going to be afraid that they're not going to be able to eat, so they make a move. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. So everybody say Elimelech. All right, isn't it fun to say? I just wanted you to enjoy it. <laughs> the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites but from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So they were from Bethlehem, and they went to Moab and lived there. So I first want to break down the characters before we get to the places. So we'll know kind of the main characters right at the start. So we first have Elimelech. He's the husband and father, and his name means my God is king. Then we have the wife, the mom, Naomi, and her name means sweet or pleasant. And then we have the two children. 
Now, to understand how they would name their children in this time, they would generally name their children based on one of two things. Either they would name them kind of prophetically, like something they wanted to see. They would call them strong, or they would call her godly and pure, or they would name them based on what they saw. So for me, they might say stinky feet. My parents had to cut the feet off my onesies when I was a baby. Different story, but <laughs> that's what they might have called me. In this case, it's very likely they named their children based on what they saw when they were born. So there are two names, Malon, which means sick or sickly, and Kilion, which means frail or tired. So they probably were born and struggled early on, so their names are literally sick and tired. That, that's what they named their two kids. So it's like, hey, here's my kid, sick and tired. <laughs> and some of us are thinking, I didn't know that was an option. Like, <laughs> but you've got this guy named God is my king. And we've got sweet and pleasant, and we've got sick and tired. And my God is king, Elimelech, is worried about his family because of the famine. So he moves his family from Bethlehem to Moab. So to give you an example of what that would look like, there's a map that's going to be coming up. Right here. So we have Bethlehem and we have Moab. And the journey is approximately 50 miles. So on average, people walk three to four miles an hour. So it might take you anywhere from 12 to 16 hours to walk. So maybe a long day or a long couple of days if you're journeying with kids. But he leaves Bethlehem and he takes his family to Moab, which ended up being a horrible mistake. Because he moves his family to Moab, where God had strictly forbidden his people from living. He had told them not to go to Moab. And you might say, why? What's wrong with Moab? Well, the Moabites were descendants of Moab. And if you don't know who Moab is, you can read about his birth in Genesis 19. There's a story when Lot's daughters got him, their dad, drunk, and they slept with him. And they conceived a son named Moab. So the Moabites were conceived out of incest, and that was just the beginning of their issues. So they also worshipped the false god Chemosh, and they honestly would sacrifice children to this false god. And if you wonder what the God of Israel thought of Moab, in Psalm 60 verse 8, he said, Moab is my wash basin. In other words, Moab is where I wash my dirty feet. So Elimelech took his family from Bethlehem, which means house of bread, to Moab, a place that God had forbidden them. So if you think about it, it's interesting because Elimelech means my God is king, but he wasn't living like God was king. Instead, he was doing what was right in his own eyes just like so many of us today, as we live our day-to-day -day lives. Now, I don't want to be too hard on him because there was a famine. So he's probably thinking, well, if I go to Moab, there's going to be a better economy. I can get a better job. I can provide a better life for my family. And you can understand that. But I would just, enter, I would just issue a gentle spiritual warning that may be for some of you. I've noticed when it comes to our families, we're often tempted to prioritize economic provision over spiritual protection. In other words, if someone has a job offer somewhere else and the job offer is for more money, most people just assume, well, this is where God must want me. 
This must be the place to go. And sometimes it might be. Sometimes it is the blessings of God to go and have better provision for your family. And so you can be more generous. But sometimes it's not. I've seen times where people are thriving spiritually. They're close to God. They're plugged into Christian community. They're part of an awesome church, and they go somewhere for a little bit more money, and they get somewhere else, and they have a little bit more money, but they have less God. So be very careful not to always prioritize economics over the presence of God. So things are a little tough in Bethlehem. So he leaves and he goes to Moab, the sinful land of Moab, because times got tough in Bethlehem. So what do you do when times get tough? When times get tough, do you continue to trust and obey God in Bethlehem, or do you leave and you go to Moab? What do you do when times get tough? Because most of us would say, well, I'm a Christian. God is the king of my life, so I'm going to trust and obey his word. Maybe you're dating, and his word says, well, we're not going to have sex until we're married. But then it's like, oh, man, I've been dating and waiting, and I've got this desire for mating, and I've got needs. But do you trust and obey God's word, or do you move to Moab? Or my God is the king of my life, and therefore I'm going to honor him with what I have, and I'm going to give 10% back as a tithe, because everything that I have comes from him. But then money gets tight. Economics get tight. Things go on sale. You want to buy it. And do you trust God? Do you obey? Or do you move to Moab? My God is the king of my life. I'm a Christian, so I'm, I'm going to stop getting drunk. And you do it for a while, and then you have a super stressful day at work, and you come home, and the bottle just looks too good. Do you trust and obey God, or do you move to Moab? Because I'll shoot straight with you, and it's true for me too. When times get tough, Moab looks tempting. When times get tough, Moab looks tempting. It's super quiet in here, like you guys have never seen Moab before. But I'm not judging. I understand this guy's dilemma. He's worried about his family, and so he does what feels right in his own eyes. And most of us, myself included, have gone to Moab under far less pressure. That's just the reality. My God is king of my life, but sometimes we do what's right in our own eyes. So what happened? They left Bethlehem, and they went to Moab. And everything worked out fine. They did what they wanted. They did what they felt. They trusted their heart. They lived their own truth. Everything just worked out as they hoped. Well, Scripture says this in Ruth 1 verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, and they married, not women that worshiped the God of Israel, but they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they have lived there about 10 years, like they've been there a minute, after they lived there about 10 years, both sick and tired also died. And Naomi, who, was left, who, and Naomi, who left Bethlehem so that they would live, was left without her two sons and her husband. It's heartbreak. First, her husband, Elimelech, dies, and we don't know what happened. Maybe he had a stroke, maybe he got hit by a camel. We don't know. But what we do know is this left her in a really, really bad place. Now, it's fascinating. Who remembers how far apart these places were? 50 miles. 
about a day's walk. Again, two if you're traveling with kids. It's like, are we there yet? I got to stop and pee. It's like, come on, we got to go. But they're not that far apart, 50 miles. And because she was away from God's people, her sons married women that were also not God's people. They married Moabite women. Now, I want to give the boys the benefit of the doubt here because these girls were probably really cute, probably had a great personality. They probably thought, I can convert them, right? Flirt to convert. That's how we operate because that's what many of us do try doing. They're really cute. They have a good personality. This one's even got a job. Yes, I can convert them. And yet, in God's love for us, he actually gives us very loving boundaries. And so, People ask me as a pastor, hey, Kev, is it okay if I'm a Christian and I marry someone who's not a Christian? And the answer, according to Scripture, is no, it's not okay. The Bible says in the, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, that we're not to be unequally yoked with those who are non-believers. And admittedly, right off the bat, that limits your playing field. And people are like, well, why is God so restrictive? Why is, it, why is he trying to spoil your fun? Well, he's not trying to spoil your fun. He's actually loving you. And I would ask you this, like sincerely, if God is the king of your life, why would you want to spend your life and raise kids with someone who doesn't see him as their king? And it's like, but he's so cute, he's so cute, but he's not a Christian. One day your, your kid's going to get sick and he can't pray for your kids. Issues will come up, and which worldview or value system is going to be upheld? Maybe he can rub his cute off on them, but that's about it. What's interesting is why did they leave Bethlehem? They left so they wouldn't die. And what ended up happening to them? Three of them died. And this is how the chick flick begins. You now have three widows with no homes, no money, no hope. And finally, Naomi, the mother, decides it's time to return to Bethlehem. You can read about it in the text. And along the way, they have this conversation. Because again, this is a chick flick, so there's a lot of dialogue. And they have this conversation, and Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, go back to your home, marry your own people, have babies. And so Orpah goes back. Now, this is Orpah, not Oprah. She doesn't go back and have the hit television show. She just goes back. But Ruth decides to stay. And she speaks for the first time in the story in verse 16. And here's what she says. Ruth says, don't urge me, Naomi, to leave you or turn back from you. And here's the big verse. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And she declares this fierce loyalty to her mother-in-law. And then the most important part of the verse is not loyalty to a person, but a declaration of dependence upon God. She says, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I will no longer worship Chemosh. Now I will worship the God of Israel. And she makes this declaration that this is her salvation. So what did she do? What happened? Well, Ruth and Naomi, essentially, they did this. They left Moab, and they returned to Bethlehem. And this is a picture of what the Bible calls in the New Testament repentance. 
It, re means to turn, and pent is the highest, like penthouse. It's the top, top floor. So repentance, it's to turn from these lower things of Moab to the higher things of God, to this place of Bethlehem. It's to turn from where you were and go back to where you need to be. Now, what's interesting, in order to turn to Bethlehem, you have to turn your back on Moab. To go to where God wants you to be, you have to leave where you are, which highlights one of the most important truths, and that is to get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. And that's sometimes the most difficult step is making that decision to turn, to repent from these lower things that we thought were right to the higher things of God. And I could say it this way. If you're dating someone who's not honoring you or honoring God, to marry the right person, you've got to dump the wrong one. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. And what's amazing is she made one decision to turn her back on Moab and to go to the God of Bethlehem. And this one decision, this one act of repentance, this one choice changed her life and it changed her legacy. And it even changed the course of the entire world. Because have you ever heard of Bethlehem before? It's a little place where Jesus was born. It means the house of bread. And Jesus, the bread of life, he, he was born in this town, Bethlehem. And I don't want to give away the biggest part of the book, but I just can't not tell you this, that Jesus was a descendant of a sinful Moabite woman who left Moab and went to Bethlehem. This is how amazing our God is. Through a woman who worshipped a false god, we're going to see in the upcoming chapters as we go through this series that one decision, the living water, the bread of life, the prince of peace, the good shepherd, the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings, the alpha and omega, through this one decision, he is born. One moment of repentance, one single decision. So what does this mean for you? Well, I'm going to ask, and I want you to be very open to what the Holy Spirit might show you. I wonder if there is some part of your life that is still in Moab. You see, we were made for so much more than this. We were made not just to worship Jesus on Sundays and come together and do our one-hour Jesus thing and then go off and live how we see best, but we were made for Mondays. We were made for the in-between, to live in the fullness of his presence, to live according to his will, to live a life of joy as we walk in step with his spirit and experience God's best for us. But is there still some part of your life that's stuck in Moab? Is there some area of your life where you're saying, yes, God is my king, yet you're doing what's right in your own eyes? Is there some area of your life where you're claiming, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet you're following your own truth and not God's truth? And that's just where we have to say, speak to us, God. Show us, convict us, lead us. Lead us in the way of everlasting. So the application question that we've got to ask, because we, we don't just hear the word of God, but we've got to do or live the word of God, is we have to ask, so what? So what? What do we do with this? 
So the question for you to ask is, what one decision could you make? What one action can you take that would change the trajectory of your life and legacy? One decision. What one decision could you make? What one action could you take to leave Moab and return to Bethlehem? I remember a pastor years ago when I wasn't following Christ closely. He just said, if your relationship with Jesus is stagnant, like you haven't seen him move in a while, you haven't felt his presence with you, go back to the last thing God asked you to do and do it. And right away, it was youth ministry. And I'm like, oh, crap, I don't want to do that. Well, here I am today. Because in that moment, I just felt that. And Jesus brought all these things together in my life. But I realized I had to follow through. I had to turn my back on what I thought was right, what I wanted, what was providing extremely well for me. And I had to go a different way. And if some of you need help knowing what to do, well, that's my job. My job is to help you. Don't feel bad about calling and texting. That's what I'm here for. But let me just throw out some options. Some of you, you might need to cut up credit cards. That could change your life. Others of you, you could be the first to apologize. I'm sorry for my part of what I did wrong. Some of you, you could break up and move out. Don't settle for somebody who's worshiping a false god because you want someone who worships the king of kings. Some of you, you could block that person from your phone or you could stop following someone who's bringing you down on social media. Some of you, you could confess the addiction that you've been hiding and you can just ask for help. Some of you, you could live on less and give a lot more. But one decision, one action. Some of you might need to surrender something to God. Others of you could surrender someone to God. Maybe you need to take your next step of faith and be baptized, publicly declaring that, yes, I follow Jesus. And there are many of you that you could just fall on your knees in broken repentance and surrender to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and say, God, I need to make you first again. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong place because it's all about the re, the turn. Somebody say that. It's all about the re. It's all about the re. Touch the person on your left. It's all about the re. <laughs> Touch the person on your right. It's all about the re. <laughs> Over 1,100 times in the Bible, the word shuv is used. Shuv is that re word, to go back, to turn around, to return. Over 1,100 times we hear re. That's what I mean. It's all about the re. And years ago, Craig Rochelle, the pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma, did a study on the re words because it's all about the re. And you just return to God. You leave Moab and you return to Bethlehem. And this is what he came up with. He wrote a one sentence re message. And it goes like this When you rebuke the enemy and return to God, by repenting of your sins and receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn, your mind renewed, and your life rebuilt. You'll be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work, and while you rejoice, you'll reap the rewards of relationship, causing revival to break free in your life. I love that message in a sentence. Feel free to take a picture of that so it doesn't go off the screen before you can get it down. 
But that is so good. When you rebuke the enemy, return to God by repenting of your sins, receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn, your mind renewed, your life rebuilt, and you'll be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work. And while you rejoice, you'll reap the rewards of relationship, causing revival to break free in your life. Guys, we are praying for revival. I am praying for God to move throughout this community, throughout our nation, throughout the world. And I believe God is here and God is working, but we still have work to do. Because revival starts in here. It starts in our, in our hearts, in our lives. And as Christ's redeeming work revives us and brings new life and fills us with his spirit, we will go out of these doors and we will be unstoppable in reaching our neighbors with the hope and love that is in Jesus Christ. And the best part is that his grace is ready for you. Leave where you've been. Go to where he wants you to be. One decision, one moment, one choice can change the trajectory of your life. Whatever the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart, if you're stuck in this secret sin, if maybe it's public sin, maybe it's something you've struggled with for years, if there's something that's holding you back, just lay it before God. Leave Moab behind and return to Bethlehem, to return to the place he has called you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus the sinless one who gave his life for us so we could live. God, give us grace and the conviction to do one thing that takes us away from the brokenness and sinfulness of this world and leads us towards your righteousness. Some of you might already know what the Holy Spirit is nudging. It's so obvious you should have done it years ago. Others of you, you're just going to ask God, God, show me what is it What's one decision, one action that I need to take that will change the course, the direction, and the legacy of my life? So I'm just going to ask you, if, if you'll seriously ask God this question prayerfully this week, and perhaps find some close, trusted friends to talk about it with, if you'll do this, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray with you this week? I just want to journey with you. Thank you. God, what's one thing that we can do to leave Moab and return to Bethlehem? Show us this week, Lord. Speak to us. We ask that your will would be done. Give us the courage, the boldness, and the faith to make the decision we need to make. And some of you, you might even be about to make a decision right now to turn around and to move toward Bethlehem, the house of bread. Because you see, Jesus was born in Bethlehem through the lineage of a Moabite woman who turned her heart to the God of Israel. And Jesus, the, the son of the living God, who is the expression of God's love, who is the perfect one without sin, who came to this earth, shed his blood on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven, so that death could be conquered, He came to bring us new life. And God, you raised him from the dead so that anyone, 
no matter who we are, where we come from, what we've done, no matter how dark our life is, anyone who calls on his name could be saved and forgiven. Some of you, this is the very reason you're here today. Many of you have called him king. You grew up in church. You prayed the prayer. You've played the game, but maybe he's not the king of your life today. Well, I also invite you to declare it. Just surrender now and say, he is my king. I'm stepping away from sin. I'm stepping away from Moab, and I'm declaring my need for Jesus. Today, I make him king. Today, I make him my Lord. If that's your prayer today, would you lift up your hand too and simply tell him, yes. God, I need you. I'm making Jesus my king. Heavenly Father, forgive us for staying in Moab. Forgive our sins. We're walking away from our sins, and we're running to your grace, the grace of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for saving us. I pray that you change us, you fill us with your spirit so that we can know you and live for you and show your love to a hurting world. Thank you for new life. Thank you for grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your blessings. God, my life is not my own. We give it all to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.